verse 2. We're going to start, and uh, you can put that in the Amplified Classic, please. Blessed be God forevermore. For indeed we have had the glad tidings, the gospel of God proclaimed to us just as truly as they, the Israelites of old, did when the good news of deliverance from bondage came to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because it is not mixed with faith, with the leaning of the entire personality on God and absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness by those who heard it. Neither were they united in faith with the ones, Joshua and Caleb, who heard and did believe. Now, we have been talking about this for, I don't know, I don't know, been a while, several weeks. And uh, we've been talking about the glad tidings. It says that they did not believe. Uh, he's, he's telling us to be careful not to walk in such levels of unbelief. Uh, he said because they could not seem to mix what they heard, which was the glad tidings, the gospel, the good news. They couldn't mix that with faith. Uh, they couldn't allow the leaning of their entire personality uh, to lean on God with absolute trust. And because they could not do that, there was no profit to them. In other words, there's no benefit. Uh, how many of you know that the word doesn't have any benefit to us in the Bible and left there? In other words, uh, there are certain denominational groups that, you know, you walk in their house and they have their Bible at the highest place in their house sitting on some type of bookshelf or whatever, and they, they, they deem that as giving the word the highest priority by placing it physically in the highest place in the house. Well, the problem with that is it does you no good up there. <laughs> the only place it's going to help you is in here. <laughs> and so what he was telling them was that uh, the same gospel preached to the Israelites is the same gospel preached to us today, yet and still... It will not do anything for you unless you're able to mix uh, what you are hearing with a measure of faith. And then the measure of faith that you mix it with will determine the harvest uh, that you will absolutely receive. And so he goes on to explain that they just couldn't get there. And so we have talked about uh, recognizing and, and uh, you know, mom and dad were here uh, last week and a few weeks before that and They've been talking about images, and we have been getting uh, so much revelation on images. And that mess, those messages are absolutely critical and powerful, uh, and they're life-changing when you begin to realize that images are everything. Uh, what, what is it that you see, or what can your faith give a manifestation uh, to, is only going to be the image uh, that you have. Now, the problem, though, is that a lot of people think it's just about images, and I remember, I believe it was not this Wednesday past, but the Wednesday that mom and dad were here a month ago, I believe it was, where the first thing mom said when she got up was she said, um, don't think that you can get this without work. In other words, there's work that's associated with getting your faith to uh, function and bringing things to pass. If you think it's just going to be easy, uh, you have missed it. If you are the type of person that can't take a job in a pie factory eating pies, you're going to struggle with producing uh, the things that God has for you to the extent that God wants to produce it in you. Uh, these things take a level of effort on your part uh, to bring them to pass. And so in talking about the gospel, uh, if we go to Luke 4, 18, Jesus is speaking and he is telling them, 
he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. If we go to King James, that'd be great. It's in red, so Jesus is speaking. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and a recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty uh, them that are bruised. And to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, when Jesus is speaking to them, he's telling them, these are the things that I came to do. He found himself uh, in the book of Isaiah, which we're about to go to in just a moment, which is Isaiah 61, but I want you to see this. He's telling them, here's what I came to do. I came to uh, preach the gospel unto the poor. What is the gospel to the poor? That you don't have to be poor no more. He said, I came to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. What is the acceptable year of the Lord? The acceptable year of the Lord is the season. It's not so much a year chronologically, but it's a season uh, by which you have been accepted by God and you have relationship with him or as we know it to be our salvation. Now, so many people have mitigated the full gospel down to one piece of it, which is that we are accepted uh, by God and we have salvation with God. But he said, I came to preach uh, the gospel to the poor which means there is a gospel to the poor. He said, I came to set at liberty those that are held captive. So that means there's a gospel to those who are held captive. Uh, He said to the recovery of the sight to them that are blind. That means there's a gospel to those that are infirmed or sick. And so what is the gospel to the poor? Not that you can be saved. That's the gospel to the lost. So then we understand the full gospel which is what we believe. There's a fullness to the gospel. That gospel affects all areas of your life. If you are being held captive or in bondage to a addiction, for example, you can be set free. If you are being held bondage to poverty, uh, you can be set free. If you are being held, uh, you know, in a place of, uh, of lack, you can be set free. The gospel is there to provide for you. So if the same gospel was preached to the Israelites, the same gospel preached to you, then what did he tell the Israelites they could have? And that's what he was reading when he was speaking to them is the Old Testament and telling them, this is what you can have and here's why I'm here. So then verse 20, he says, he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and he sat down and all the eyes of them in the synagogue were fastened onto him. Keep going. And he began to say unto them, this day is a scripture fulfilled in your ears. What scripture? The scripture he was reading out of Isaiah 61. He's telling them it's been fulfilled in your ears right now. And all that bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceedeth out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? In other words, he's trying to minister to them. And he's letting them know that this is about to be fulfilled in your life. And their only concern is, whose kid is this? Not whose kid is this, but whose kid is this? Because they ought to be concerned about his real dad, which is the architect, not the carpenter. But that's a whole other message. Keep going. And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in this country. In other words, we heard about some stuff you've done over there, so why don't you do it here? Now, you see the, res- the disrespect 
and a lack of honor that's already started. So keep going. And he said, Verily I say unto you, a prophet is accepted, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you the truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout the land. First thing Jesus said was, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own people. <clears throat> this is one of those things where uh, I want to be careful how I say this, because a lot of times when I go, when I go preach different places, um, I step into a different office. In other words, when I'm here, I, I function out of the office of the pastor. A lot of times when I go other places, I step into a different mantle or a different office. And if you're not careful, the people will begin to honor and value the office of someone who travels more than they do their own pastor. So, uh, uh, you know, you, you bring somebody in. We call it the superhero status. Somebody comes in to preach. They blow up and blow out and they move on to somewhere else. And people are so excited that more people will show up to hear the guest minister than they will to hear their own pastor because they have more honor for the guest minister than they do their pastor. But the problem is the guest minister is not going to come to your house. The guest minister is not going to pray for you when you're in a hospital. The guest minister is not the one who has the word for you. There's a lot of good word out there, but not every good word is your word. Are you understand what I'm saying? And so I'm very cautious that when I get out and travel in different places, when people start to try to put me in a place I don't want to be, I always give light back to their pastor because their shepherd is the one who's responsible for them. And you will not honor me more than you will honor your own shepherd because in the house, there's no higher office than the office of the shepherd. And I am not going to go see somebody else. Are, are, are you understand what I'm saying? And so he was telling him, he said, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own house, among his own people. See, when you're dealing with somebody who you see over and over and over again, they become familiar to you and you lose sight of honor. So then when some name comes in, you're like, oh, did you hear so-and-so's coming? I'm going to be there. And then you just dis in disregard and neglect what is going on here. That's one of the reasons why I don't tell people oftentimes when I travel and preach other places. Because then what people start to do is they'll try to follow me instead of supporting what's going on in their own house. And how disrespectful is it for me to arrange somebody to come here that I believe has a word for you, for you to be somewhere else instead of in the house where you're supposed to be supporting the work you were called to <laughs> So that's why I used to, I had one guy tell me, he goes, I wish you'd tell us when you're traveling. I'm not telling you anything. The mere fact that you're asking tells me you have no honor. Never mind. But I tell you the truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, Elisha, when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months. Great famine, great recession was throughout the land. So this, would you say this is a financial hardship? So notice what he says. But I tell you the truth, many widows, many of them were there. But none of them were sent except for, save unto Sarepta, the city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. Now, <clears throat> I know in today's ideology, today's thinking, when you hear a widow, you think 
Oh, she inherited some money. But in those times, women were not able to inherit and own anything. So to be sent to a widow was not to be sent to someone whose husband left them a bunch of money, but it was to be sent to a death sentence because she had absolutely nothing. He's saying that in this time of great famine, the preacher, the prophet, was sent to someone who had nothing. Doesn't that seem bizarre? (laughs) People are like, well, you know, they have nothing, so you shouldn't expect anything. Do you know how many people we have done, like, there's been times where we have forgiven thousands of dollars worth of debt for people, and they they can't even honor us with a card to say thank you. We've done things for people, and they can't even just say thank you. No honor whatsoever. And it amazes me, in their heads, here's what they think. Well, I don't have anything. The widow with the two mites didn't have anything either, other than those two mites, and she gave them. And Jesus said she gave more than everybody else did. Now, it it flies in the face of of the idea of socialism, which is the wealthy are supposed to give, the haves are supposed to give to the have-nots. That's socialism. That's the idea that you somehow, if you have, you're a bad person, you've done something wrong, and you owe it to the world. I don't owe anything to anyone other than God. And God is the one who directs my giving as to how I sow a seed and when I sow a seed. But it is amazing to me how many people think that because I'm struggling and I don't have, I am absolved from the laws of sowing and reaping. And they want the promise without the procedure. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So to then send a man of God to a widow made no sense. She doesn't have anything. He didn't send the man of God to feed off of the widow. If we did that today... Oh my God, did you hear Pastor Jean went to a widow's house? She has nothing. He's eating her food. She can't feed her baby. We'd be all over the news. Scandal. But yet and still, God did that. And he didn't send him to her to take from her. He sent him to her so that she could partake in the blessing that was upon him because the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me to preach the gospel unto the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty them that are bound, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord God was upon him, and he sent him to deliver her out of her lack. But it took a seed. So then he says, then he says, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. None of them were cleansed, except Naaman the Syrian. Here he is speaking to covenant children. They are in a synagogue. They are covenant children. They have rights and, and privileges. And Jesus says, Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He has anointed me. Preach gospel to the poor. To bind up the brokenhearted. Set at liberty them that are bound to preach deliverance to the captives, to 
recovery sight to the blind, and acceptable year to the Lord. He breaks it all down. And he says, but did you ever think of why? All these widows in the world, and Elisha was sent to a heathen, and not to one of you. Then he says, there's all these sick people, lepers. He said, and yet none of you got healed, but this heathen did. God bypassed you as the chosen children and went outside of to some people who would actually dare to be dumb enough to believe that what God said, he actually meant it. He said, I sent him outside of the family to somebody who was not as smart as you think you are, but to somebody who said, I will believe that God said that I'll reach out with an outstretched arm and bless you. I will believe the man of the God. I will believe the word of the prophet. He said, and I had to get them outside of you to get them healed. So watch what he says. And they all in the synagogue, which heard these things, were filled with wrath. Right. He just told them, right. I came. Listen, if, you, if you're dealing with me, and I'm struggling, and you said, look, I came to give you what you're struggling with, I ain't mad at you. Blessings upon blessings. You came to give me what? I need healing? I'll take it. I need prosperity? I'll take it. I need to be accepted by God? I'll take it. You can set me free? I'll take it. You can bind up my broken heart? I'll take it. They're mad. They're mad because he's letting them know, you're over here talking about where I came from, and you missed the idea of who I am and what I'm here to do. They're upset. They want to throw him off the hill. He walks right on through them and keeps it moving. That's the spirit of poverty. That's why when you start talking about money, people get real tight. Necks start getting stiff. <laughs> well, well, Pastor, you know, it's not all about money. You're right. It's not. But these messages are. <laughs> and we'll move on to something else and we'll talk about that. But I need everyone to understand that when that spirit of poverty is working in you, it is causing you to walk in less than what God has called you to. And if we are going to do more, if <laughs> Stevie Wonder with Ray Charles riding co-pilot can see the world we're in right now, things are happening. If you don't see it, you have to be purposely blind to not see things that are occurring in our Supreme Court, things that are moving in the timing in which they're moving, things that are happening in our government. If you can't see this, you don't want to. And it is high time that we as believers discern and understand where we fit, not as a Democrat, not as a Republican, not as an independent, not as a this, that, and the third, but as a Christian, a theocracy, and, and people who know who their God really is, and that we are on fire for the things concerning Him. And I don't care what side of the fence you're on, if you're standing against God, you are standing against me. 
It has nothing to do with political affiliations. It has to do with what's going to honor God. And if it's going to honor God, I'm on board. This is why. Let's go to uh, Isaiah 61. Verse 1. This is where he turned to when it says he found in the Bible, in their Bible, which was the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, and he began to read. This is what he was reading. So let's read. Let's see. When he said the scriptures fulfilled, he's saying this has now happened. So let's see what this is. You want to? Me too. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the meek. To, he has sent me to bind up the broken heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance <clears throat> of our God, to comfort all that more. Let's stop there for just a second. A lot of people, when they hear vengeance or they hear the day of judgment, they think of something negative. In other words, they think that uh, vengeance is to repay evil. Somebody's done something to you, and you're like, Lord, vengeance is yours, so I'm not, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to let you repay them. That's not quite exactly what vengeance is or judgment is. Judgment is to bring about whatever is supposed to be the result. So, in other words, to the children of Israel, when he led them into the Red Sea and he parted the sea for them, that was deliverance for them. But as soon as the Egyptians came behind them, that was death for them. So, in the day of vengeance, it says to comfort all that mourn. It can't be comforting to you if you're being judged in a bad way. It would bring you no comfort. So what it's telling you is that the vengeance of the Lord is the judgment of God that comes on the purposes of God. So in other words, if I would take, because this is why some people, I'm not going to say any of you because I don't want none of y'all to get mad, but there are people who have been wondering why it seems like God's working against them. And they're like, I know I'm saved. I know I love God, but it seems like things are working against me. And it's because you have not sought the plan of God for your life. Because if you had the plan of God for your life, you would align your life. You would bend your will into his and stop trying to force his will to change to what you want. And the moment you get in line with him, there is a vengeance or a judgment that comes with his purpose. So that anything that stands against what God has called you to do, it has to fall. Because it stands in judgment against him and he will judge it and release vengeance upon it. And because you are walking in his plan he releases judgment on you which empowers you to be successful now all of a sudden every enemy that comes against your life will fall to the right they'll fall to the left because you are walking in his divine plan and now judgment works for you <laughs> to bless you and it works against them to curse them that's how you get comforted all the more are you, are you got it? Good. Let's go. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, 
the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And they shall build the old wastes. They shall raise up former desolations. They shall repair the waste cities, the, de- the desolations of many generations. Verse 5. And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. And the sons of the aliens shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. Verse 6. But ye shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. Ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. And in their glory shall you boast yourselves. Now, you put that in the, uh, I think it's the NIV. Is that what it is? Go back to verse 5 real quick in the NIV. Look what it says. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord's. And you will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations. And in their riches you will boast. You will feed on the wealth of nations. You will feed. Strangers. In other words... People who come work for you will be taking care of your flocks. Vine dressers will be taking care of your vineyards. <laughs> he says, you'll be called priests of the Lord, and you'll be named ministers of our God, and you will feed on the wealth of the nations. And in their riches, you will boast. See, when people say the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just, the Bible says that. But do you really believe that? Because we find ourselves reveling, or let me say it this way, we find ourselves groveling after people who are successful for some reason thinking that their success is something that's exclusive for them and not for us. And so as we have learned to esteem things in a certain way, we highly regard people who do very evil things. Uh, they sing very evil songs and we give them awards and we race home to watch these award shows and watch them get up and do everything but cuss God up until that moment and get up on a stage and say, I'd like to thank God for blessing me with this song that I cussed everybody out in. And you have the audacity to idolize, never realizing that the jet they're flying around in, the cars they're driving, the houses they live in belong to you because the wealth of the wicked is in fact laid up for the just and the wealth of the nations we are supposed to feed off of. Then you wonder why they have more influence in this generation. I'm going to hit y'all with something real quick, and I'm going to walk away from it because some of y'all going to get real mad. You want to see the new agenda? Watch a Disney movie. You'll see it. Very clear. The, the grip that they have on our children's minds, the ideas that they're planting. You think it's cute. I think it's demonic. Well, they're just kids. Yeah, well, but kids grow up. 
He said, you will feed on the wealth of the nations. You know what that means? If I ride by a multi-million dollar mansion, if there's a believer in it, that's their mansion. I'll never covet it. I'm happy for you. Let's praise God together. But if I ride by that mansion, there's a wicked person living in there, you in my house. You are driving in my car. You are pushing my whip. Huh? He told them this is being fulfilled in your ears, and they're mad. And the two examples he gave was a widow woman prospering and the leper being healed. But yet and still people struggle when you say that God wants you to prosper. So now they'll go work 60 hours a week to make what the preacher tells you God wants you to have, but you're mad with the preacher, but you pledge your allegiance to the job. I know. And the problem is with all of that is he said, this scripture is being fulfilled right now in your very eyes. And you can't see it. Why? Because you can't mix it with faith. Right back to Hebrews 4. The gospel didn't profit them. So then this is why some people you'll see prosper. Same group of people. But you'll see a few select people that are prospering. <laughs> they're always getting it. They're always sowing. They're always... And you're like, my God, how did... Because they heard the message. They mixed it with faith on the inside of them. And then they stepped... Quit trying to get what they got unless you're going to do what they do. It's really that simple. And I'm amazed at how uh, poverty-minded people become when they don't understand God desires to bless you. He's not trying to work against you. Look, look at uh, Psalms 115, verse 12. Whew, my God. Is it hot in here or is it me? Glory, glory, glory. The Lord have been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel, and he will bless the house of Aaron. It is, uh, let, let's go to Psalms 8, verse 4. Psalms 8, verse 4. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands, and hast put all things under his feet. You know God's talking about you. And they ask him, what is it about man that you're so mindful? And then notice in Psalms 115, it says, God is so mindful of us. Now, I want you to understand what mindful means. Mindful means to mark out a place for. Uh, if some of you remember back before we had PDAs, uh, personal digital assistants, or some of you probably don't even know what a PDA is. Um, it's not a public display of affection. PDA is a little device that, you know, would carry your schedule and your calendar in it. 
And um, now we have smartphones and stuff like that, uh, day planners and day timers and all that kind of stuff. But how many of you remember back in the days where you would tie something around your finger or put a rubber band on your finger and it would be a way to remember to do something? So every time you saw your finger, it reminded you to do something. To say that he's mindful of you is that same illustration of tying something around your finger, or let's say it this way, God ties a string around his finger at all times to be mindful of you, to be ever looking out for you, to be ever watchful over you, to every time he can, oh, yeah, where they at? Oh, there they are. There they are. What are they doing? To, To look for opportunity to reward according to your obedience unto him, that he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. He's always looking for an opportunity. It's always mindful. It's on his head. It's something he never forgets. He's not taking his eye off of you. Not for one moment. His eye is always on the sparrow, waiting for a moment to bless you. To the point where they said, what is it about these people? That you're so mindful of them. Why would you take, what is it about these creatures that you would take and tie a string around your finger and make sure you're constantly looking after them to bless them and to bless them and to bless them? And notice what he says. Was it Psalms 115? Where are we at, 12? Where are we just at, guys? Psalms 115, 12. Thank you. So the Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. And he will bless the house of Aaron. The house of Israel, the children of Israel. Empower them to prosper. Aaron represented the Levites. Levites are the ones who serve. Now this is particularly important to those of you who serve. So I want you to pay attention. Because a lot of people don't realize why I'm always telling you, find a place in the ministry of helps and serve. Because the responsibility of the Israelites, or of the Levites, was to move the tabernacle and to move the church wherever God said to put it. And so as they moved through the wilderness, the Levites were the one that stuck up roots and put it back down again. So then when God gives the pastor a vision and says, we need to do this with the house, then there's the Levites, all the people who serve, come together and they say, yes, we pick it up and we go and we take it and put it, oh, 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 and we drop it where, where God told us to put it. And they have a responsibility as the ministry of helps. And he said, I will bless their house because they have taken personal responsibility for the church and everything that the church is called to do. And they continue to move it and to place it where God wants it. And that's how the church advances into the future that God has for it. And there's a blessing for that that comes upon your house. Not because you take it where you want it to go. (laughs) But you take it where it's supposed to go. And there's a supernatural provision for that. (laughs) So he said, I'll bless you and bless you and take you. Now, say this with me. What I have right now is the least I'll ever have. Today is the poorest I will ever be. Now, watch Deuteronomy 28, verse 13. Deuteronomy 28, verse 13. 
in the King James. And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. Thou shalt be above only. Thou shalt not be beneath. If that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day, and observe to do them. Now, put in the English Standard Version, please, back there. The ESV. Watch what he says. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. Look at this. And you shall only go up and not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God. You mean to tell me today is the poorest I'll ever be? If I follow the commandments of the Lord my God, everything he tells me to do, if I do them, today is the poorest I will ever be. Today is the least I will ever have. And notice what he says, you will go up only. One translation says it this way. You will, let's see, where is it? There it is. You will advance and never go backwards. You will advance and you will never go backwards. Oh my goodness, y'all. And it's all tied to your ability to follow his plan. So then why do people think somehow that poverty glorifies God? When so many places, I mean, I just, you know, when, when he says Deuteronomy 8.18, but you shall remember the Lord thy God for is he to give thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore unto thy fathers unto this day. Why would he need to give you the power to make wealth? Not, not get it as in just falls in your lap, but make it. See, because some of you, you, you're you're getting images, and that's great. But you have to realize having the image is not enough. It is not name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. It is now, okay, God, I got an image of what this looks like. Give me an idea. Give me an understanding. Give me the business concept. Give me the principle. Show me the way that all I got to do is do what you showed me how to do. And I'll see these things that I've got all these images about will start to come to pass. Just show me the plan. And I seek after your will and your purpose and your calling and your direction and your plans and your pursuits and whatever it is you want. And I'll do it your way to see these images come to pass. And now he says, I'll give you the power to make it. God don't drop chairs out the sky. He drops trees. Trees turn into chairs. But there's somebody who's got to be skilled (laughs) to take the tree and turn it into a... to take the ore out of the hills and make the car. See, believers are too busy in church talking about what they don't have. Praying, Lord, come, if you would, one day, in the by and by, instead of realizing their responsibility to affect change in this world. I don't care what you think or what you may think you believe. This country was founded on Judeo-Christian ethic. 
That's why this country has prospered. This, the United States of America is, it represents 4% of the population of the world, but represents 25% of the economy. If you shut this country down, as so many people think you should do, if we sneeze, the whole world will catch a cold. People are blindly unaware of what they want to happen, never realizing the circumstances that could occur. We might as well all give up. Why was this country so prosperous? Why did this country do so well? Because it was founded on God. And I assure you, hear me and hear me well. He is not going to let some demonic belief system, some demonic person holding a seat, trying to outlive, You think he's going to honor her dying wish when we're not honoring the dying wish of millions of babies? Never mind. No, never mind. Never mind. Because people ain't thinking. God is moving. And if there is truly a vengeance of God, you better learn which side of this thing you want to be on. Because when it's all said and done, I want to be on the winning side. Because no person shall stand against God. God's purposes will prevail throughout the land. I assure you of that. And I know which side I'm on. How about you? Run around here. Never mind. Run around here talking about every life that matters over 18. But no life matters under nine months. I'm so sick of this stuff. I'm doing myself. Okay. Ready? So let's go to Genesis 12. Genesis 12. One. Now, Lord said unto Abram, get thee out of that country from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Can you put that in the NIV, please? Do you know that while all this stuff has been going on, there have been something like 40 or 50 different places where, where sex trafficking of children have been exposed and hundreds of children have been recovered. And nobody's talking about it. But we want to pick which lives. The Lord <laughs> said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I wish people would get on God's side. I really do. 
I, I really do. I, I, wish they would, I wish they would get to a place of realizing it's not about democracy, it's not about Republican, it's not about independent, it's about theocracy. If we could just get to that place, I'm telling you, things would change. He would be able to heal our land because the church would stand up and take its position. The church would be in control of some things. The church would have the silver and the gold. The church would have the resources. The church would have the money to be able to step up and to make things what we need it to be. I'm tired of being told how we're going to do things by people who have the gold. And you stand back wondering why. They have it because they're holding it for you. Go get it. I'll make of you a great nation. And I'll bless you. Make your name great. And you'll be a blessing. Can I get that in the NIV? Or is, is it the NLT? Maybe. If not, it's the Amp C. How about the Amp C? There it is. Come on. That's it. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you with abundant increase of favors. That's like the Godfather. You know, if, if you ask him to do you a favor, then you owe him one. So then whenever he calls upon you, whatever that favor is, you, you, you just, you're obligated. He said, I'll bless you with an abundant increase of favors. So anytime you need something, you can call in a favor. Anytime you want something, you can call in a favor. You have favor surrounding you. The Bible says favor surrounds you like a shield. The Bible says that wherever you put your foot, I have given you. Everywhere I go, every business deal I do, every transaction I'm involved in, I'm surrounded with favor. They might not have did it for anybody else, but as soon as I stepped in, they're going to do that for me because I got favors. And he says, and make your name famous. Why? Why would he make your name famous? Because you'll make his name famous. Then notice what he says. And distinguished. You know what that means? Marked, separated. Distinguished. Your, your name will be different. They'll come to you and ask you, hey, what do you think about this? How do you think we should do this? What if you were in a position... Of, of the CEO of Amazon, where the president is going to call you and say, hey, we need to get supplies out to the country. What do you think? What if you were the CEO of Amazon? You as a believer, you as a Christian, you who can affect the world, and the president is calling you, asking you, how do you do something? And you're able to say, by God, you're missing it. He says, and you'll be a blessing doing what? Dispensing good to others. Dispensing good to others. This is why some of you, people are always on you. Why do you always want so much? Can't you just be happy with what you have? Aren't you satisfied? Who told you I wasn't happy? I can be happy and not satisfied at the same time. I'm trying to grow. Because the more I'm able to grow, the more good I can dispense. The reason why they don't want you to grow is because they don't want you to forget about dispensing good to them. They want what they want. They're afraid the relationship's going to change. 
So they don't want you to grow. All the while God is saying, I will make of you a great nation. I'll bless you with abundant increase of favors. Make your name famous and distinguishable. Set you apart. <laughs> so that you'll be able to dispense good to others. I'm not after this prosperity thing for myself. I'm after it for what God can do. How do you think when Jesus needed a tomb, he's like, look, I just need this probably for three days. Do you have any idea the level of faith it'd have to take to lend somebody your burial plot? No, come on, y'all. Your casket, your burial plot, your suit you're going to be buried in, lend it to him for three days. You know what kind of faith that takes when he says, I, I know I'm going to look like I'm dead. I get that. Go ahead and do everything you're going to do. But let me just borrow this puppy. That's like a crackhead asks you to borrow his, your car. I'll be right back in 10 minutes. Lies. But Joseph of Amathea had to have that to give that to him to borrow. When he said, bring me a donkey that no man has ridden. You know what that means? Bring me a car that has zero miles on it. Somebody had to have one sitting somewhere. When he said, go find a man with the picture in his hand. We need to use the upper room. That, had to ha that guy had to have a house big enough to have a servant who was going out to get the water. God has need of people that have a resource and have supply. And, and people are running around, I, I, I don't know about this prosperity thing. Well then, that's why you're not mixing it with faith and that's why it's not profiting you. But you ain't gonna stop me. Because I'm gonna mix this thing with faith. I'm not gonna sit there and be mad because Jesus told me that strangers will be plowing my fields for me. That I'll be able to eat the wealth of the wicked. I ain't mad with him about that. <laughs> See? That's why I said you'll be able to dispense good to others. Watch, keep going. And I will bless those who bless you, who confer prosperity and happiness upon you. And I will curse him who uses insolent language uh, towards you. And if, this lights are bright over here, in you will all the families and kindred of the earth be blessed. And you, they will bless, by you they will bless themselves. And it takes you back to Galatians 3, which is what? Curses everyone hangeth on a tree. So that what? The blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. Now, some of you have wondered why. You hear somebody say, oh, they're, they're use me. I don't know why people always want to use me. Listen, you don't use poor people. You can't use a homeless person. They don't have anything to use. I need some of y'all to hear me. Because you're always like, well, every time I get into a relationship, every time I get around somebody, they want to use me. And it's because you have a gift. And you're not paying attention to the gift. So other people see it and will use it. If you walked up to me and you said, Pastor, can I borrow 50 bucks? I'm not going to let you borrow $50. I'm going to give it to you. Why am I going to give it to you? Number one, because if I lend it to you and you can't ever pay it back, 
it's going to damage our relationship. And so for 50 bucks, it ain't worth it. So I'm just going to give it to you. But if you walked up to me and said, Pastor, let me a million dollars. I'm flattered. <laughs> Whether I have it or not, doesn't even matter anymore. I'm just flattered you think I do. I cannot tell you how many people, when they see someone prospering or with a gift, they think you don't need it. This is why sometimes you're, you're in relationships with people whether it be friends, whether it be uh, uh, boyfriend, girlfriends, whatever, uh, uh, advanced relationship, whatever, people around you, family, it doesn't matter. You have people around you that think you're so capable that they do nothing to help you. And you're always bearing the responsibility of everything on your shoulders because you are so capable. And inside, you're, you're thinking to yourself, I wish I wasn't so capable so somebody would help me. I'm talking to somebody right now. I just wish somebody would just help me just a little bit. Stop thinking I'm so capable and give me some help. And it's because you are capable. It's because there is a gift in you. There is ability in you. But what I want you to understand is people around you don't value the gift in you they want to take from it and this is what he's saying i will bless those that confer prosperity on you see <clears throat> i've seen people like oh why do they keep blessing pastor he already has we should give to the poor that's what judas said judas said the exact same thing why would we pour this on jesus's feet let's give it to the poor Years ago, I had somebody that wanted to go to Bible college. I pretty much gave it to them. I mean, gave it like nothing. They completely disrespected it, didn't do the homework, didn't do any of the classes properly, and blew it off. It's amazing to me how people you give the most to who call themselves, we don't have, the poor, will never respect enough to be honorable with the opportunity they're given. We've had people, we've waived thousands of dollars for them, and they can't even give us a thank you card. Nonetheless, put a $20 bill and say, hey, look, I appreciate it. It's not thousands, but here, here's something. Dishonorable. And they wonder, and the reason their logic is, well, they already have. Like we reach a place in our financial world where they stop sending you bills. And what they don't want to do is confer prosperity on people who are already prosperous. Because you already got it. Socialism says, I take from the wealthy and I give to those who don't have. Because they didn't earn it and they don't deserve it. <laughs> and here God is saying, I will bless those who bless you. Meaning, if they would take care of you and be a blessing to you, regardless of their perception of what you have or don't have, I will bless them because they blessed you. That is completely opposite of your socialistic values. So then he says, I will curse those that curse you. Now, honor, 
A lot of people don't know, but they think honor is doing something specifically dishonorable. In other words, if I say something bad about you, then I'm being dishonorable. No, dishonor is not giving value to what you should give value to. So, in other words, uh, let's say you've got an opportunity. One of, one of the things I'm telling you that if I could teach this next generation how to uh, respond to when an offer is being put in front of them, I am telling you, as sure as I'm sitting here, if I could snap my fingers and impart one thing into this next generation, it would be how to know when an opportunity is in front of you. A lot of people have no clue when an opportunity is being put in front of them. I'll call people and I'll say, hey, you know, I was thinking about uh, and I'm talking to them about it and they're like, oh, okay, that's wonderful. Because they have not learned <clears throat> that most great opportunities come disguised as work. They have no idea. The opportunity, I'm literally putting it out in front of them with an opportunity for God to bless them. And they're like, yeah, well, that sounds great. Pastor, let me know how that goes. I hang up the phone and I go, oh, dear God. If I could just teach them when an opportunity shows up. Because, see, when my pastor called me, <clears throat> I knew that if, there was a re if he picked up the phone to call me, number one, God told him to. Number two, he trusted me enough to confide that information in me for a reason and a purpose. So whenever he said, hey, I was thinking about, you know what that meant to me? Here's your chance. This is my moment. No, I'm going to sit back and wait for somebody to give me something, and I put no honor on it, and because I put no honor on it, I walk in a curse. Can I tell you something? There's people around you, you've been wondering why they're not prospering. It's because God's been dealing with them about blessing you, and they won't. And because they won't, they're cursing you, so now they're walking in it. That's why I'm not mad at haters. Haters are the breakfast of champions. If you ain't got no haters, you are not gifted. And I can always tell who the haters are because they're the ones around me who are not prospering. <laughs> How much time we got? So, <laughs> so when he says those that curse you or use insolent, uh, the word insolent means to uh, words that are not equal to your value. Insolent. It's like it's not even, they got, you're supposed to be here, they got you down here. So it's not that they've done anything to you, because most of them are nice to you. Just God's been dealing with them about blessing you. But because you're so capable, they don't think they need to. Besides, we can give it to other people. And this is why some people will flaunt their poverty to entice you to give to them. They'll be more impoverished. They'll make it known they don't have. They'll talk about their struggle all the time. Trying to guilt you into giving to them because they don't really want to be seen as prosperous because if they're prosperous, then you won't give to them. Listen, I don't need anybody 
if you won't do what God's told you to do concerning me, God will raise up somebody else who will do what you are supposed to do concerning me. God will get after somebody else and somebody else and somebody else and somebody else until he finds a way to get it over to me. It doesn't, I'm not tied to people. That's why I preach what God tells me to preach and I'm not afraid. If everybody says I'm done and I'll never give to that place again, bye. Because my supply don't come from you. It comes from him. And if he wants to make it happen, I play to the audience of one. And whatever he says, that's where I'm at. Oh, the freedom, baby. And I don't feel obligated to give to those that don't have. If I said his name, you'd know who it is. Real prominent uh, minister gave a lot of money to a ministry. A lot of money. And... uh, One day the Lord said to him, you haven't gotten a harvest off that money. And he said, you know what, Lord? I think you're right. And so he called the ministry and spoke to the guy. He said, hey, what's going on with your ministry? And the guy gave him a long song and dance and story about how they're struggling and things ain't going well and they don't have and blah, blah, blah. And the Lord told him, don't ever give to them again. Because... God don't tell you to give into just need. Matter of fact, need is a sign they're not doing it right. This is why when you see people on the Internet and they'll post a little video of themselves saying, God is good. Cash at me. (laughs) For what? If you want to support me, hit me here. You want to do this? And, And they got five different lines. Venmo, PayPal. Give a five. <laughs> Do you ever stop and think to yourself that the sign that they have to keep begging is a sign there's no supply? Yeah. And if there's no supply, could it be possible that there's no God in that ministry? Beg so much, hands look like cups. But yet and still, you want me to be moved by the need because you're an unprofitable servant. No, I'm going to find people. Preach over this side. I'm going to find me some folks that are already producing, that are already making some stuff happen, and I'm going to sow into them and give and seed into them and believe God with them and connect with them so that when he says, I will bless those that will bless you, I'm getting blessed because I'm connected to those who are blessed, and I am blessed. And I understand how these things work. Do we help the needy? Of course we do. But that's outreach. That's alms. That's where we dispense good. But when I'm going to bless and sow seed, I want to hook up with some successful people, people that got something going on, people that are doing stuff. And I want to rub up against some folks that got some things. Because that's how it works. I know nobody want to hear that, but that's how it works. And then now I get to, so, and I don't want to use their, my process of thinking. Well, they already have, so they don't need. How do you know? 
How do you know what they need? If God deals with you about it, God told you, give them this, give them that, sow this, sow that, you, you do what you want. But if I was you, I'd sow it. If I was you, I'd plant it. Because your blessings will be tied to those things. Things you're looking for and believing God for. Because let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you one more time. I, I, I don't know how many times I'll ever say this again because I don't say it that often. But I'm going to tell you something. If what you have is not big enough to be a harvest, it has to be a seed. It has to be. And I know people don't want to hear that, but that's the truth. Because how could it be your harvest if it's not enough? So that's why I said I'll bless people who bless you. He said I'll curse people who lightly esteem you. If they lightly esteem you, I'll lightly esteem them. But if they see the value in who you are, they'll honor you. And if they honor you, it'll show. It ain't just lip service. Oh, pastor, you know we love you. Uh, it, it, it amazes me how many people who will gush from their mouth how much they love me. And it'll be the same people that as soon as I say something they don't like, they start out from the back and they move all the way up to the front. Amen. Yeah, pastor. Come on, preach it. And then I say something they don't like and they start working away every service. I don't care about what you say. That's why Jesus said you can honor me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. He said, if you want to honor me, you'll do what I say. You'll believe the word. You'll start working the word. You'll start producing. <laughs> Well, that flies in the face of, well, you know, they're trying. Listen, we don't try, we do. We're not triers, we're doers. We don't try the word, we do the word. And when we do the word, the word produces. And when the word produces, there's fruit. Now I can see these things are working. Because let me tell you something. Where God's about to take us. I, I went back and I printed out every word of prophecy that we have gotten over this church in the last, I believe, four or five years. And I'm still looking for six, seven, eight, nine, and ten years. But it is amazing to me, as I have been going back through these, the thread of what God has been telling us is what we, as this body, is going to do, not only for this city, not only for this county, but not only for this state, not only for this country, but also for this world. What's going to happen from this place? Now, you can get in if you want to. I want you here. But hey, it's going to take some people that got a revelation of more to make that happen. When there are buildings that need to be tended to. There are ministries that will need to be tended to. When there will be food banks that will need to be handled. When there will be things that will have to be done. And it will start out of this place right here. And it will be using people like you, 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 to make that happen. You better learn to mix it with faith because we're going places. You can either get right or get left. It's up to you. But I assure you, we are going places. And I personally believe that everybody in this room knows exactly in their heart what I'm talking about. And I believe that's why God brought you here. You thought you came here by accident. I'm going to mess y'all up with something. I'm going to mess y'all up with something. Sit down, sit down, sit down. I'm going to let you go. Just two seconds. I want you to think about something for just a second. Okay? In your 
mind's eye for a moment. I'm willing to bet that most of you, not all of you, but the majority of you are here now because of somebody who is not here. You are here now because of somebody who isn't here. So God used that per to get you here. And here's the problem. You're too worried about the person who ain't here to realize what, what maneuvering he did to reach out to you sitting in a grocery store in Maricopa What he used to bring you here, you, you, <laughs> you think he did that on accident? You thought it was about the person who brought you here. It got nothing to do with them. They was a pawn in the game to get to you. Because you're the one with the vision. You're the one with the promise. You're the one with the blessing. You're the one with the gifting. You're the one with the calling. You're the one with the anointing. You're the one with the purpose. You're the one. God, y'all ain't ready for me today. You didn't you miss the whole point. It was to get you strategically. I love y'all. I'm done. <laughs> Peace out. See you on the other side. Love y'all.